This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the show. Jeff Sharon along with you here, along with Andrew Glukov and Bryson Turner joining us here for this first segment. Eric is Eric has had it. He's like he's off off the reservation. He's like, I can't do it this week. I, I just can't. We're back after a one week hiatus, by the way, because I was on vacation and I was, you know, running around the, the Wild West, as it were, and I leave town and all of a sudden the college football playoff decided to expand by two hundred percent, apparently. <laughs> And we got a 12-team playoff that's going to happen. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Drew, how are you? I'm great. Having a little summer shandy. Tis the season. Bryson, what's going on, man? Uh, I thought we were going to be talking the bandies this week, but hey, we got a lot of we got some stuff no. to cover. It looks like we got to push we, it to next week. We're, yeah, we pushed it to next week. We pushed it to next week. And the reason why is because technically this season's not over, and that's why you're here in our first second talk. But we're going to talk about the CFP stuff. Later on, it'll be me and Drew talking about it. But Bryson is here to talk a, a little bit of track and field. All right. So let's catch you up on uh, on what's going on with this story right now regarding Renaya Jones. By the way, there are two UCF athletes, either current or former, who are going to be competing in the United States Olympic trials this weekend, the track and field trials out in Eugene, where we just saw the NCAA championships, where we had two UCF athletes competing. And Renaya Jones finished in second in the 100-meter hurdle. She gets the NCAA silver medal, brings home a nice trophy and a silver medal. Congrats to Renaya. Um, she uh, she ran a pretty good time. It wasn't her personal best, but uh, you know we were sharing it on social media. Wow, she really actually had a late charge to get that silver medal. Um, and she gets to stay in Eugene for the week and compete in the U.S. Olympic trial. So, um, Bryson, I'll start with you. Let's just recap the weekend at the NCAAs that uh that UCF had um and Renai was the real highlight wasn't she oh yes for sure I was watching the I was watching the final live and as she, as they kind of started I was definitely worried seeing her fall behind but looking back at that replay those last two hurdles she just turned on the afterburner and as soon and as soon as I saw I saw her go across the line I'm like Holy crap! She just got second. Right. I was basically like Dana Boone. Like uh, we talked to um, Eric. Lo- Eric talked to Dana Boone after the game, and I saw the interview for the article I wrote about it. And she was basically had a very similar similar reaction. In fact, she didn't even know that she got second. She thought she had like third or fourth. But if those those last two hurdles, I have to applaud Renaya for for doing that. That was a major. Um, definitely the run of her season besides the one that got her qualified for the trials she uh she she comes in second to anna cockrell of usc uh who was coached by carol smith gilbert ucf's former uh track and field coach who by the way hours after usc wrapped up the women's team championship she announced she was becoming the new head coach at georgia for both the women's and the men's teams at georgia so that's an interesting little note but Renaya finishes with a 12.82. Cockrell finished with a 12.58. It was tight down to the wire, but Renaya beats uh, Akira Nugent of Baylor, another freshman, by two one-hundredths of a second and uh, outpaces Grace Stark of Florida by seven one-hundredths of a second to take the uh, to take the silver. Now, 
She now turns her attention to the U.S. Olympic trials, which is a whole different ballgame in the 100-meter meter hurdles. But you know, as I had mentioned earlier this week, um, you know, let's not forget that Renaya at the UCF uh, invite earlier this uh, spring, uh, when she set the school record in the hurdles at 12.73, that was the sixth fastest time uh, in the women's 100-meter hurdles this year. So where does that put her, Bryson, in terms of the potential to make the Olympic team heading into the uh, first round, which will be happening late this week? Well, I think what's going to be interesting is it's going to depend on how long it's been before the Olympic, for, for some of the athletes, as far as professional, have gone into the, gotten into the Olympics. Because you have to remember that this is coming, that this Olympic trials comes one year after what the, when the trials were supposed to be because of COVID. And so, for example, uh, one of the professional athletes that'll be at the trials is Kendra Harrison, who owns the world record in the women's 100 meter hurdles. And she qualified with a 12.43 time. And I did not see when she ran that, but if she ran that in say 2019, then coming into this Olympic trials, it's an entirely different ball game. Uh, so the biggest thing for me is the professionals are going to come in and I can only go off of their previous Olympic performances, at least from what I've researched. And so they're a little bit, so they're a little bit of murky, but obviously you should not, you know, doubt them. They do this professionally for a reason. Uh, but what we can do is look at the, some of the collegiate runners that she will have to go against in the trials and compare their performance there. The, and so from that perspective, I think that her chances of making the Olympic team, or at least her finish, her finishes among the collegiate athletes, it's she's going to be right on the fringe. If there are three athletes that are going to be going into this women's 100 meters, and if you just talked about the collegiate athletes, I think Renaya could make, make it in as either the third one or the alternate. And this is because there are three runners that I am that I'm looking at right now at least collegiately, that I think could make it. And that is Tanea Marshall of LSU, who qualified for the trials with a 12.44 and did not start in the championship race in for the women's 100 meters, presumably because they were going to save her for, for this trial. So she gave up, or either her or her coach, gave up an, a possible NCAA championship to prepare her for this. And the fact that she had the second fastest qualifying time only a, only a hundredth of a second behind Kendra Harrison, that that I think is kind of bodes for how formidable Tanea Marshall is, even though she did not race in the NCAA championship race. Now, you also have Chanel Brissett from Texas. Uh, she did not make the NCAA championships because she had a false start in the 100 meter hurdles in the NCAA West prelims. So she actually is coming into this event on some pretty good rest as far as the 100 meter hurdle event goes, though she did compete for the, in the four by 100 meter relay for the Longhorns. Uh, and then, and then that brings us to the women, the only woman that beat Renaya in the championship, Anna Cockrell. Cockrell qualified for the Olympic trials with a 12.54, the fourth fastest qualifying time among everybody there. And even in this race, she, be, she beat Renaya by, by, with a 12.58, which is not that far off from her qualifying time. So if I'm Renaya, I, I basically need to beat, my per, the, beat that Knights invite time, 12.73, and then some in order to not just compete 
with the collegiate athletes that are on the board, but also the but also now you bring on bring in the professional athletes uh, as well, including two past two past gold medalists in the event. Yeah. Uh, one other uh, person who we know actually won't be there, Nia Ali, who made the Olympic team uh, in 2016, was a silver medalist uh, in Rio, and uh, but she won't be competing because she announced actually last month that she was pregnant with her third child. So congratulations to Nia. So she decided she won't compete, um, at least as far as we know. But um, like you said, Harrison, Brissett, um, we don't know what else is going to – and it's going to be a tough – road for um for uh Renaya to to get there but at least she has a chance to be there on the track and she has a chance at the final um if she doesn't fall start or any of that kind of stuff so um so I think that's so I think that's key and then second of all you know here's what I think is actually really important I want to know what you think about this is all right number one she's going to be competing on this level it's always important to get that experience you never know. If you have a good race, somebody falls or something, you could end up in the top three. Or if you end up in the top four, you could be an alternate. And then who knows what could happen. Um, and, and I think that we were mentioning that earlier, that th- that there might be an issue with one of the favorites in this in the 100 hurdles. Is that right? Yes. Um, I mentioned earlier that there are two previous gold medalists in the women's 100-meter hurdles uh, that are going to be competing in these Olympic trials. The first one is uh, that isn't like the problematic one is Dawn Harper. She was a gold medalist in Beijing and a silver medalist in the London games. So she's going to be in the Olympic trials, but the one I'm going to watch the previous, but but the other gold medalist, the gold medalist of this event in Rio, who was the gold medalist for that USA sweep of the podium is Brianna Rollins. And she, so the story with her is that earlier, uh, just left, uh, just about a week and a half ago, she was banned, or, or the story the story I'm talking about comes a week and a half ago. She was banned for five years because of a doping of a doping case. And so that should keep her out. but but, but as it turns out, Rollins, uh, Rollins submitted an appeal that is now a lot, had her banned frozen. So she is now able to run in the Olympic trials. I'm looking at the as in looking at the entry list right now, and her running and her time that got her to the trials was a 12.61. So she is so uh, which is a faster time than Renaya's qualifying time. Mm-hmm. But but here's the thing: is the is the determination of whether she can compete in Tokyo or not is if she does make the team is going to come down to an appeal hearing that's going to be heard on July 23rd. So if it come, if the situation comes to it where Brianna, Brianna makes it into the top three and say Renai is fourth, then we could be in a situation where we really needed to uh, get ready for that July 23rd hearing to, figure, to see if Renaya could possibly make the team because if Brianna... Brianna Rollins is denied to go to Tokyo because of this. Interesting. Well, that's really interesting. Worst case scenario, if Renaya doesn't make it, obviously, like we talked about, this is some great experience for her. And the thing I think that's easy for everybody to forget is, you know, the 2020 Olympics are taking place in 2021. It's only three more years until the next Olympics. So we could very well see her in 2024 um, and, make the run up to the Paris games um, 
while undertaking her career at UCF, assuming she doesn't decide to turn pro, which is a possibility with track and field athletes all the time, or transfer. But, um, yeah, this is it, it, that's that's another key thing for uh, a young athlete to do, especially somebody like her who's 19 years old and has already put you know uh, presented such great talent um, at, at such a you know so quickly. Um, this is a this is a really good place for her to be in terms of gaining confidence and experience, right? Oh yes, I mean if you look at the lineup, if you include Tanea Marshall who didn't start in the NCAA championship for this event. There are only three underclassmen of the nine. There is of the nine. There is Renaya Jones, a Karen Nugent, who did not qualify for the trials, by the way. Of the nine people to qualify for the NCAA championships, Nugent was the only one, is the only one that isn't qualified for the Olympic trials. And then there is Masai sophomore, Kentucky sophomore Masai Russell, who actually is qualified for the trials, actually. Um, she qualified, I believe, with the time of what was it? Uh, there it is, 12.9. So yeah. she qualified for the trials, but as an underclassman, being an underclassman, managing to c- compete at that level is a major achievement for her. For her, and so obviously, when we're t- when we're talking about the Olympic trials, she could see some of these up- upperclassmen like Anna Cockrell, for instance, in the next Olympic trials. But I think that that gaining that experience, if, especially if she does stay with UCF and head co- and track coach Dana Boone all the way through until their senior year when at senior year, then I could easily see her as a, as a realistic candidate for the team in 2024. If she does. All right. And her first race, when is that going to be taking place? Uh, Bryson? Cause there's, there's more than uh, there, there's a first round and there's the quarters and semis and then the final. Is that right? Yes. So as far as the first round goes, the first round is scheduled to happen at eight at 5:04 p.m. local time, which means it'll be about 8:04 p.m. our time in on uh, June 19th. But the thing is, is that you know, is I'm sure a lot of Olympic followers will know about this. NBC loves to, loves their tape delays on these <laughs> things. I, so I looked at the schedule as the, at the broadcast schedule for June 19th, and it says that the uh, that the trials will be broadcast on NBC Sports Network from 8 p.m to 10 p.m. So mm-hmm. it's possible. So I don't know if it's going to be live, but it's going, but it, but that's when NBC Sports Network is going to be covering the trials. Well, and well it NBC is in that window, right? From 10 to 11. Yeah, so it, it, it is in that window, right? So we probably should be able to see it live then that first round, at least. It, as long as NBC allows it. It's right. Gonna, so I would say keep an eye on the, on the, on those time slots because NBC is going to air it sometime in that time slot. We just don't know when. Okay, so um, sa- so Saturday, June nineteenth, eight p.m. on NBC Sports Network is when we should just keep an eye on it, right? Exactly. Okay. Now there is one more athlete we need to take a look at who is uh, a UCF alum uh, who's taking sh- taking her shot at the Olympics. Anne Marie Blaney, one of the great distance runners in uh, UCF history, who's graduated after a decorated career. She's chasing after uh, a spot on the U.S. Olympic team in the ten thousand meters. Um, she just set her personal best actually about a month ago on May 14th in Irvine, California with a 3203, uh, in the 10 K, which puts her according to USA track and field at about 13, that's the 13th best time this year, uh, in the, uh, in the 2000 or in the, in the 10,000. Now 
she is, to put it lightly, a dark horse, but at least she's going to be competing uh, in this respect as well. So we're going to be keeping a close eye on her. Now, she has a lot of, uh, she has quite the uh, uh, ladder to climb, though, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Bryson? Because I'm looking at the 10,000 um, final, or, or the best 10,000 uh, meter teams um, this year. Or ten thousand times, I should say, and the best one is thirty-seven forty, thirty forty-seven rather, by Elise Cranny, um, which is set back on February twentieth. She, Carissa Schweitzer, and Emily Infield, Infield I think is actually a familiar name to track and fielders. Um, all fin- uh, all finished. Uh, well, she or actually Cranny and Schweitzer finished under thirty-one. Um, Infield finished at thirty-one oh eight, and Blaney still had is still at thirty-two oh three. So. Unless she finds a way to knock him, uh, knock almost a minute off of her time um, in the next month, which is which is a pretty big ask. Um, you know, it's it's going to be tough to see um, if she can uh, actually make it into the field. But again, you never know. It's distance running. It's weird, crazy stuff happens in dis- in in distance events. So um, at least we'll get the chance to see Emery Blaney out there one more time in the in the ten uh, k. Do we know when that? Uh, when that event's going to happen, um, Bryson, I'm looking for looking to see what the yes, schedule it is. is. It's actually, it's actually not this weekend. It's actually next weekend. It's a week later. Uh, it's going to oh, be okay. It's going to be uh, the, the women's because of, of course this is a distance running thing. That means that there there isn't really a, like a first round or anything. It's just all one thing. And yeah. So, all, and so that means it's called the final even, and I'm saying final in air quotes because it's just the 10,000 meters and you have everybody in it. So that's going to be happening at 6.44 p.m. local time at uh, on June 26th. So that means it will be at 9.44 p.m. our time. And looking at NBC's airing schedule, they air the trials th- that night on the main channel, NBC, from 9 to 11 p.m. So now, I, I don't think they're going to spend 30 minutes of, of, their, of the major network's time <laughs> following the 10k i think they're going to show they're they're probably going to show the race and then cut to like field events during it yeah i'm not mistaken right i would agree with that but yeah if you if that's something but if it is something that our viewers would want to follow 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 up on then that's where they'll probably have some intermittent coverage of that race so if you want to see him or emory blaney do that it'll be there but and but you basically did nail nail the analysis as far as as far as this goes, because at least Craney has a, managed to qualify with 30, 30.47.42, which is far and away faster than Anne Marie Blaney by a long yeah. shot, as far as track goes. And, and, and her only competition is Schweitzer, who finished a half a second behind her at that one event, at the, an event called the 10, which is back in February 20th. So, yeah, now, granted, that was, that was a while ago, it was four months ago, but still. I know. This is actually um, what's interesting about this is this is actually Anne Marie Blaney's second time to try and qualify for the 2020 Olympics. And because uh, because before COVID struck, because there were some Olympians that were, had already been decided before COVID struck, because the, the marathon Olympic trial happened before COVID shut down in February, 20, in February 2020, and Blaney did compete for that. So she, so I thought personally, as someone, as someone who's been, you know, been seeing how much impact this the you know COVID nineteen has had on the sports world to now see Emery Blaney compete in another trial for a twenty twenty Olympic event almost like about a year and a half apart I mean that just kind of goes to show you how much COVID has really affected these games 
And I'll be very interested to see what kind of what kind of presence it'll have here. But it could also give have given Amory uh, Amory an opportunity to better prepare for this ten thousand meters in a way right. that it would be much better than you know coming you know a few month about a month or so after running a marathon. So yeah, at least it gives right. you more time to do that. So U.S. Olympic trials coming up this weekend, and then going forth into next weekend, two UCF athletes competing. Bryson, you'll be writing up a little preview for us, uh, I believe, before we head into the weekend. Is that right? Yes, I will try and knock that out tomorrow. I should be able to get get it out before Saturday. All right, sounds good. We'll be on the lookout for it. Bryson Turner joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Thank you, Bryson. Keep an eye on things. I know I, I'll be watching it live because I, I'm a huge Olympic nerd. I love track and field. Um, I'm particularly interested in always seeing what what who's going to be competing for the U.S. in the uh, in these events, and the fact that we have two UCF athletes who are going to be competing for a spot on the Olympic team, I think, is uh, a wonderful, th- a wonderful thing. In addition to Phil Dalhauser, who's going to be, um, who obviously didn't play an NCAA sport at UCF, but is a UCF graduate, and uh, will be, pl- and will be in the Olympics again in uh, in Tokyo in beach volleyball. One more, t- one more go at it for uh, for Phil Dalhauser again. All right, Bryson, thank you so much, man. It's good to talk to you, and uh, uh, enjoy the weekend. Thank you very much. You too. All right. When we get back, Andrew Glukov is going to join us again to talk more about, oh my God, the college football playoff is still, is going to 12 teams. I can't, like, like, I can't believe it's going to 12 teams. Like, this is mind-blowing. Like, I- I'm still recovering from it. And I was learning about it up in, while I was up in Wyoming on vacation. Stick around. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Andrew Glukov joining you. Eric's got the week off, and Andrew and I are here to talk about the big news in college sports that broke last week when we didn't have a show, because of course it does, while I'm out in Wyoming, is the college football playoff. It is not quite official. It may be by the end of the month, but the uh, college football playoff working group uh, which consisted of four key administrators uh, in uh, working within college football, announced last week uh, that they will recommend to the CFP uh, management committee that the college football playoff expand from a four-team to a 12-team tournament. The uh, working group, by the way, uh, <clears throat> consisted of the following people. Bob Bowlesby, who's the commissioner of the Big 12. Greg Sankey, the, the commissioner of the SEC. Craig Thompson, the commissioner of the Mountain West. And the athletic director at Notre Dame, Jack Swarbrick. So a little bit, su- a little surprising, actually, considering the names involved, that they were so, um, uh, you know, th- th- they were so progressive on this uh, format change. Uh, they will propose officially to the College Football Playoff Management Committee, which is all of basically all of the athletic directors plus Jack Swarbrick, um, either tomorrow, which would be Thursday the 17th, or Friday the 18th. Um, the management committee is expected to review the recommendation um, at, uh, and it'll be taking place at Chicago. If they endorse the 12-team proposal, this is from a press release by the College Football Playoff, uh, then... Or, or, or uh, if they reach consent, or if they reach consensus on an alternative model, or decide to retain the current fourteen format, it will uh, then be forwarded to the CFP Board of Managers, which will be meeting next week, June twenty second, 
in Dallas. Now, the managers are one president each from each of the FBS uh, conferences, plus uh, Reverend John Jenkins, uh, who's the president of Notre Dame. Uh, so that kind of gives you who they're who they're talking to. The representative of the American, by the way, is the president of SMU, Gerald Turner. Um, on the 22nd, if the presidents give it the okay, um, then they will decide whether they're going to, quote, authorize feasibility assessments and potentially discussions with other entities that would allow for implementation of any format, including, uh, basically, they would decide how and when and where they would implement it. All right. Um, the... Overall, uh, the the format that there that the uh, management or, or that the uh, what is it the uh, committee, um, the working group proposed is the following. Obviously, twelve teams. Calendar still has to get worked out. But the first round games, the top four teams would get buys to the to the second round to the quarterfinals essentially. The first round games would take place on campus sites sometime during the two-week period after the conference championships. Quarterfinals would be played on January 1st, New Year's Day, or January 2nd, when New Year's Day falls on a Sunday uh, and on an adjacent day. So New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, or you know, January, January 1, it could be, or it could be, you know, New Year's Day and January 2, or if January 1st is a Sunday, then you would have the NFL. And so they would push it to like January 2 and January 3, for example. Semifinals and championship games would be determined. Semifinals would not likely not be played as a doubleheader, which I'm a little bit surprised at. Uh, the bracket would follow the rankings with no modifications made to avoid rematches of teams that had played during the regular season or from the same conference. The bracket would remain in effect throughout the playoff. In other words, there would be no reseeding, depending on who won. Um, they did not dis- include deciding which bowls would be part of the college football playoff, but they did recommend that if... Traditional Bulls host games, they would be assigned to the traditional Bulls for quarterfinal games. Um, and then all 11 games would obviously be under the CFP umbrella. So, um, wow. The other thing that actually was recommended, and this is where it comes in big for UCF, is of the 12 teams, the top six ranked conference champions would get automatic bids. Notice I said six, not five which means ostensibly you would have the champions of the Power Five conferences plus the best group of five conference champion. But you could, in theory, like you did in 2020, have two group of five conference champions if they're ranked ahead of one of the uh, one of the uh, Power Five teams, such as, uh, for example, Coastal Carolina was uh, and Cincinnati was with, uh, with respect to the Pac-12. Pac- if they did it this year, the Pac-12 wouldn't have been in it. So, holy smokes, Andrew Glukov. Holy smokes. This is really happening. Yeah, it is. Uh, Let's be honest. This has been something that's been clamored for from day one. When they moved from the BCS and that system to the the CFP, and they were doing this four-team playoff, immediately there was a push to to grow it because – Hey, let, let's be honest. The way it was set up, I mean, it wasn't going to really be a playoff, uh, just because it was too small. Uh, it was just the nature of it. So, well, everyone I mean, calls it an invitational because well, it is. It's by def- essentially by definition is yeah. It's essentially right now four at-large teams. Right. Uh, there's there's no grounds for qualifying, which is where this twelve-team format changes the games because now you have grounds for qualification. 
And that's where the playoff aspect actually starts coming into play. You know, the NFL playoff has grounds for qualification. You, you win your division, you're in, you know, yeah. then you get the wild cards. As Here, Eric Lopez calls it criteria. Criteria. I mean, at that point you're arguing semantics, but it, the, the truth is by having that structure, having something concrete of here's how this works. It, it opens the door. Now there's a lot of details we don't have because they haven't been fleshed out yet, such as are these top six conference champions going to be the top six seeds? Hasn't been decided. My guess is going to be other than the top four, which they did say will be conference champions. They have not addressed number five or number six yet. I think that's going to be fleshed out but, uh, and probably end up not being one of those, you know, the, the top seed automatically. I, I don't think they'll give number five and number six that home field advantage in the first round. I think they're going to give that to the top at large. Uh, if the top at large is ahead of the fifth conference champion, which may or may not be the case, but the cool thing about not having automatic qualifiers. And if you read the sports illustrated article that they came out, uh, was it a uh, Ross Dellinger wrote it uh, was just absolutely loaded with, with information and good stuff. And they talked about how the term AQ or automatic qualifiers is a dirty word. <laughs> and they and they wanted to specifically avoid it. And if you actually look at history, the the Bull Coalition, the BCS. Oh, you're going way back with that line, one. Yeah, you go all the way back to the Bull Lines and the Coalition, the BCS, the CFP. Those top one two slots have never had an automatic qualifier for a conference. The only issue was you didn't have the Big Ten or Pac-10 originally, and that's where the, the BCS fixed that. But they never actually locked any of those spots up based on conference affiliation. Right. So this actually follows that consistency of not having the conference affiliation lock-in uh, to, to really give not only the impression that everyone has a shot, but with, with the way the language is written now, everyone legitimately does have a shot now. So... It's still not, and this is the part where I always get scared because, like, I because I'm cynical like this. Like, the the athletic directors still have to either sign off on this, or they could say, "Now nah, we're going to keep it at four. or they could say, "Now nah, we're going to change it slightly." And, and actually, I forget who it was. I think it was Andy Staples uh, who said uh, earlier. I think it was earlier today. He said that one tweak they might add to it is putting the quarterfinals at campus sites instead of in neutral sites. I would love that. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the home game atmosphere, and I can see two, camp, two different camps on this one. The first one is there's money to be had for the home team, getting the gate in, and, and just, yeah. you know, the away team just gets their expenses covered. So and they, if you only did it with, it. like, right, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but if you only did, like, the 5-12 – you know, uh, six, 11, seven, 10, eight, nine games on campus sites. That means that the top four teams, they wouldn't get a home game out of that. Right. You know, they're trading in that home game for a buy and that's money in your pocket right. because you know, the, the home team gets, they get the gate, they get the parking, they get the concessions, they get all that good stuff. 
and and the only expenses are the for the away team's travel that 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 will be would be covered through that. I, I think part of this is they don't want small stadiums. That's two things. And I, one of them, small stadiums hosting those that big level game. Like take the bounce house. Bounce house is not a big stadium. It's about, you know, it's 44,000 and change. Uh, it does not have a high level of amenities. Uh, it just, that just is when you compare to, you know, you know, Mercedes Benz stadium in Atlanta, I, you just can't compare it. It, it it's not a fair comparison or, the, or, you know, Jerry world down in Arlington, Texas, or the Rose bowl, you know, you, you can't compare one to the other. So I think that's part of it there. And two, uh, the, the last thing I think they want is a semifinal game in East Lansing, Michigan at, <laughs> in January, in, in early January, <laughs> where, you know, the breath that comes out of you immediately freezes into icicles. Six, six inches of snow on the ground. And I, it would make for some entertaining television. I'll tell you that. It would, but I think they, they feel that the the quality of football would be taken away. And you, at least with the Southern stadiums and the dome stadiums, you get to negate the, a lot of the weather issues and make it more of a fair game. And that, and I think that's the other, another uh, avenue that they're probably going to look at. Hmm, interesting. Um, Let's think about this from the UCF perspective now. This is a coup. It's a game as as, changer. This, yeah, as as Coach Malzahn said, it tweeted out. It, game it is a, game, it is a right. totally game changer. This, this means that, yes, UCF can now compete on the field for a undisputed national championship, as can the other 64 teams in the so-called group of five. Um this it, it's and this takes us to the debate that's been going on for a week now on Twitter about who deserves credit. Oh boy, <laughs> for 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 getting for actually getting Swarbrick and all these guys in the working group to be convinced to have to to give the group of five a shake of the pie here, right? So I will ask you. To start out, who deserves credit? Is it Danny White? Is it Mike Oresco? Is it all of the group of five teams? Is it Jack Swarbrick? Um, in your mind, and list as many of them as you want. Who, in your opinion, gets to gets to do a victory lap here and say, "Hey, we we were at least at least part, not the reason, but at least part of the reason why." we now have this more full, more participatory, or will have, hopefully, if all goes well, this this playoff, this 12-team playoff. Well, let's start with the CFP Management Committee, which is all the commissioners plus Jack Swarbrick. They're the ones who decided to create this team. Uh, this wasn't done in a vacuum. This was actually very particularly done. They took the Big 12, and the SEC commissioners, because they've been around the longest out of the power uh, out of the power five conferences, and, and and you know wanted a good a good cut. You can't do anything. Well, I take that back. Uh, you know, the SEC. You know, uh, Greg uh, Skanky over there is is he's he's newer. But the thing is, you can't do anything with the without SEC support. Right. Uh, so I 
you take him, uh, Bowlesby's been around the block a lot. He's got a lot of experience. And you take them, it becomes a little more geographical. You take him, covers the other half of the country, really. Uh, the Pac-12, brand new commissioner. You can't ask anything of him. The ACC overlaps the SEC too much. Big Ten's got its own issues. Uh, so you go there. Jack Swarbrick being Notre Dame becomes uh, is, a, is a wild card. And I think he brings a really unique perspective. And I actually think he deserves an extra amount of credit more than anyone else in the room when it's all said and done. And then, uh, and they specifically said, uh, the reason why uh, Craig Thompson from the Mountain West was picked is because he was the longest tenured commissioner out of the group of five and okay you know they had to be commissioned by someone they're commissioned by the cfp management committee which was the 11 commissioners and and jack swarbrick so obviously that group of 12 gets the first layer of credit they're mm -hmm. the ones who said let's do this the second layer then goes to the four guys in the room who somehow through a lot of tough work managed to keep this from leaking now this started in 2019 yep did not leak i mean, they they almost it almost got blown uh when uh in dallas a notre dame fan found jack swarbrick and asked him what he was doing there and and swarbrick <laughs> had to come up with a good excuse oh uh, it was an industry meeting <laughs> it was an industry meeting yeah uh, it's just some industry meeting I, i'm telling you Ross Dellinger's SI article about this was fantastic. Must read. It was really Must good. Must read. Fantastic. Can't can't emphasize it anymore. Those guys put the blueprint of this all together. The third layer is goes back to the CFP management committee, who then sends it off to, to the presidents and whatnot. And it's going to be tweaked a little bit. But uh, you know, the main four guys, you know, Greg Sankey. Bob Bowlesby, Craig Thompson, and and uh, uh, Sambrick. Uh, Swarbrick, I, yeah. Yeah, Swarbrick, sorry. Um, Jack Swarbrick. Uh, I've got to give those guys the, the lion's share of the credit. They're the ones who did the work. And Jack Swarbrick especially because he actually put Notre Dame at a disadvantage willingly for the betterment of everybody else. He, he could have thrown a wrench in this but he chose not to notre dame does not qualify for a bye because they cannot win a conference championship and he was willing to accept that i mean that wow i did not see that one coming uh we have to take that home game though <laughs> here's who i don't give credit to any athletic director outside of jack swarbrick none i don't give credit to any of them not uh, even danny white not for, even danny white none for at least them. for at least laying the groundwork and uh, now here's where you and i disagree Okay, I do believe that Danny White deserves at least some credit because he publicly showed that the emperor had no clothes with regard to the current format. Because you remember when the 14 playoffs started in what was it 2013? Was it 2014? No, okay, that the it was being sold as finally this is the thing. This is the play. No more split national championships. No more disputes, none of that. This is the be-all, end-all. And what, first of all, 
Credit is due to Scott Frost and the UCF players on the 2017 team. The players undefeated. a lot of credit. Yes. Hey. Who, who went undefeated, beat Auburn, won, won the conference, beat Auburn, who beat both Georgia and Alabama, the participants in the, two champ, in the championship game that year. Credit to them. Then I do give credit to Danny White, who boldly on that field declared national champs. I don't care what you have to say. And ignited the debate about wow okay the emperor really doesn't have any clothes here maybe this is not the be-all end-all as it was being sold to be all right so i do believe he deserves at least some credit for publicly kind of throwing out the the established narrative uh and and like i I say it's 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 the right comparison saying the emperor had no clothes here so you say he doesn't deserve any credit at all? Well, let's think about it. Let's think about it. They, this started in 2019. And, and the catalyst, UCF was a major catalyst. Make right. no bones about it. 2017 comes and goes. They didn't do anything. 2018 happens. Teams won 25 straight games. They can't get over eighth place. Oh, we have a problem. Yeah. That was when it really hit. And it was during that offseason is when things started to happen. Uh, you had enough ammo because, you know, Boise State, Houston, and Western Michigan, they had good runs, but, but they didn't really have something sustained. I mean, if any school won 25 straight games in the BCS era, they'd be in the national championship game, and they knew it. You know, Boise State ended up second. Uh, TCUs ended up second. Utah ended up second on single things. Mm-hmm. as a non-power conference. Utah did it twice, I think. Is that right? Uh, I think TCU did it. Uh, I think Boise did it twice. When I'm, I, I, I forget exactly. I know. Utah had 04 and I think 08. You're right. You're right. They did have 04. Yeah. Uh, and then 08, which uh, they got retroactively given a national championship similar to UCF. And it was actually because of UCF that that happened. But that that's neither here nor there. Right. Uh, they, in singular seasons, were able to get all the way up to within the top six and eventually finished second. UCF never got higher than eighth, riding 25-game win streak. There's a problem here. And they finally admitted it, and that's when things started to happen. And, and they've gone on the record. You know, uh, Mike Oresco's gone on the record. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that we can, you know, find a way to pry more stuff out of this guy to, to kind of <laughs> talk about, you know, how this happened, how this all came together. Cause you know, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of smoke and there's tidbits that people have said over time and in different places, but I mean, it'd be, you know, as we know, Mike likes to talk. Uh, you just, you know, would love to, you know, see, oh, uh, see ever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. He did, is. Did you hear the interview with Mark Daniels this week? Cause I did. Uh, I think Mark I did, asked like three questions in 20 minutes. Well, that's what he does. I mean, the, the guy just knows how to talk. Um, my my friend and, and former colleague Kyle Nash has had one-on-ones with him. And that's also the the thing is that the man likes to talk. Uh, but but when you, when you look at it, the players were the ones who made it happen. They're the ones who won 25 games on, in a row. Yeah. Uh, the noise that happened around it doesn't matter. You win or you don't. And you don't win on TV, you know, talking in a press conference. You win on the field. And that's what they did. They deserve 
the lion's share of public credit. Um, the the national championship, you know, uh, initially it was a claim. It was shortly uh, rat- basically recognized by the NCAA once that final rankings came out because they actually the, the declaration came before the the rankings finalized. So right. there was a degree of that risk was, there. Yeah, it was it was before Wesley Colley's final poll came out. Right, and there was a degree of risk there. And and I know there's some some people who who sometimes get the dates mixed up. But yeah, there, the claim came first. The actual recognition came later. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, I, you take that away, I think the result would have ultimately been the same. They still would have realized this team won 25 games in a row and still can't get over eighth. We have a problem. Yeah. Let me ask you this about the conference, the, the non-A5, which is what I prefer to call the G5, commissioners, in particular – um, Mike Oresco. And this is kind of what you alluded to just a second ago is for all the arm waving that Danny White did, all right, that's like Greg Sankey doesn't pay any attention to that, okay? Jack Swarbrick doesn't care, all right? These guys have been running college football for a long, long time. They do not, they do not care about Twitter. They really don't, all right? They don't have Twitter accounts. They care even less about it overall so what has what they do care about is money okay so what about you know mike oresco we talked about thompson from the mountain west and some of those other guys who were actually in the room they are part of the management committee that actually makes decisions on this they're part of the meetings right you can't tell me and I'd love to, this is one of those things where I hope we can get Mike Oresco on our show because I'd love to ask him that you can't tell me that at some point in the last two years, right, that Mike Oresco wasn't on the phone with Thompson from the Mountain West saying, hey, what are you guys working on? What are you guys thinking? Hey, look, what about this idea? What can, how can we push this forward for our conferences to be included in this in some way shape manner or form in a way that is acceptable to everybody i i don't think it's correct as some on twitter have argued that mike oresco deserves zero credit for what happened because the fact is ain't nobody else in the room except for him right in in terms of the management committee for for the uh, for the cfp so he's actually going to be one of the people casting the votes on this this weekend, or this this week, I should say, and uh, you know, I I just I I don't understand why UCF fans are so salty towards him when we know for a fact that a he's the one in the room, he's the one he's the one battling for the conference, and b if you're that upset at him over the fact that you think he was lukewarm towards UCF's national championship claim. Well, need I remind you the fact that he was also at the same time negotiating a billion-dollar television contract with ESPN, who, by the way, can't get a Super Bowl, at least at the time. So the college football playoff, which they are a partner in, is basically their Super Bowl to sell to advertisers, right? So Mike Oresco is not going to publicly crap all over ESPN's premier sports event property because of Danny White, he's gonna he's he has to play the game 
so that he can get the signatures on the dotted line for that gigantic media deal, which enabled us to watch UCF on e- UCF events on ESPN Plus that everyone liked the spring because we couldn't go to the games because of COVID, right? Right. So doesn't doesn't he deserve at least a little bit of credit here? And I'd like to find out exactly how much more if we can talk to him. But I, I don't understand the saltiness. I really don't. Well, I mean, it, it just I, defies logic to me. I, I get the saltiness from a short-term standpoint. You know, you feel like you're being left on an island. But, uh, and also, if you think that on, the only things that matter are public statements. Well, and that's the other thing. Uh, public statements, and you know, and those pressers uh, make fans feel good, but they don't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Uh, you don't, nothing changes because I went in front of a podium and said, I don't like the way this is done. Change it. That's not how it works, uh, as we've seen. Uh, it's way more complicated than that. Uh, and, and the thing is, I don't blame UCF fans for feeling the way they feel. Uh, the, here's, the, here's the difference. Athletic director only cares about one school. A commissioner has to care about all the schools. And as, as you've mentioned, uh, they were in the middle of a negotiation for a new media deal. And the last thing you want to do is piss off your media overlord on, on an upcoming deal, which can then financially backfire and hurt you. You want to play nice. Once the deal was locked in in 2019, Oresco's public language changed. Yeah. Uh, during Memphis's season, he got way more aggressive for two reasons. One, as we found out, there was something going on. And obviously we knew or he knew that a team was put together to work on options. Now he didn't know what the options were because they kept it very tight and they were vague in the information that they gave. As the article talks about, uh, Jack Swarbrick was the the spokesman and, and he basically said, I had to be a lawyer and he had to just kind of give just enough nuggets to, to, to basically get off his case right. and, 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 yeah, and then move on. Uh, the the other thing is, you know, you've got all these moving parts and, and you, you have to make friends and influence people. And, and if you actually look back and you look at the chain of events and you see it more so with during the COVID time, the American got very chummy with the SEC from a commissioner standpoint. Greg Sankey and, and Mike Oresco talked a lot. In fact, Mike Oresco's method of action seemed to always follow what the SCC did. So he was working on, uh, on a different avenue of making friends. And, and while I don't think that played a role in the changing of the CFP, that's part of the commissioner's job is also managing relationships on a higher level. Mm-hmm. So, M- Mind you, by the way, these two conferences – and these two commissioners have already worked together on that basketball challenge, the SEC AAC basketball series. Mm-hmm. So there is obviously a, an ongoing relationship between Greg Sankey and Mike Oresco. And, and here's the thing uh, that, that we have to wonder about. It looks like the concept of P5 and G5 is basically going to go away because there is no real it's the, there is no power five anymore at that point. Everyone becomes a, an equal player. The only, the only, is, the only place that it really exists is actually in the NCAA. 
No, actually, it it, it exists well, in terms the, of the, the NCAA's. The of, yeah, the autonomy. The autonomy. Yeah, uh, the NCAA's ruling, which, by the way, Aresco alluded to with Mark Daniels this week. He said, "Really, my goal is to try and get us into being one of those autonomy, gaining that autonomy conference status with regard to NCAA policy votes." Right, and that's, that's a whole different that, ballgame. Yeah, and that's actually all it applies to is for football only, uh, autonomy for. Uh, you know, for, for policy, you know, they, they changed the meal rules. Uh, that mm-hmm. was one of the big things that they did. And what they said when this first started, this whole autonomy thing, is the other conferences can choose to join a walk if they want to. Uh, they're not required to, and it won't impact their status in the FBS. But they've all pretty much tried to, because it's, you know, a case of keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, I think in the case of the American, the more they can be like that autonomy group, the more likely they have a chance of starting to cover some of that financial gap in in subsequent media deals. And so, so to kind of wrap it up, I understand why UCF fans are salty, uh, but they they have to understand that Mike Oresco's job is not to satisfy UCF fans. Mike Oresco's job is to work for the benefit of all member schools. And sometimes one may not jive with the other. And that's what happened. I think UCF was more of a victim of timing than anything else. If they had their run in 1920 with no COVID versus 1718, I think there would have been a very different argument because you wouldn't be worrying about a, a new media deal or any of that sort. You, the chains would be off. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the timing worked out against UCF. And, you know, I think that gets forgotten about. Yeah. Um, let's spin this forward to the future. Let's, again, fingers crossed, because, listen, I, I, I never put it past college administrators to screw up a good idea. <laughs> All right. Where's someone make Jordan, uh, G. Gordon uh, Gee not allowed to vote? I, I know. I, I just, <laughs> you know, I, I know, of, of course, President Cartwright's on board. Of course, Terry Mahajra's on board. It's the other guys I'm not worried about. I'm, I am worried about, right? But let's say the what we're all hoping happens. 12-team playoff, top, top six-ranked uh, conference um uh, champions get a bid. I don't even care where they play the games. They could play them all in Anchorage, Alaska, for all I care. I mean, just get us to 12, right? As I told Andy Staples on Twitter. But um, what do you think that this, how does this really change the conversation around college football and the future of college football as we think? I have my own ideas, but I want to know what you think is going to stay the same, is going to be different going forward? Well, in the short term, nothing's going to change. Uh, the earliest this could happen is in 2023. There's a lot of parts. And the thing is, it requires a brand new CFP media deal, which is why I don't think this is going to actually happen until the old contract expires. It's just easier to negotiate the new contract based on the new terms. Well, I, I do think that ESPN is probably chomping at the bit to kind of get in the negotiating room on this right now because of the amount of money that they lost due to COVID um, and the events that they lost because they they want to get on this real quick because th- to them this is like having the Super Bowl every year, right? But the other instead thing of once every mind, three or four years, 
the other thing to keep in mind, and they're talking about potentially $2 billion, you know, coming into, into the FBS is the, there's already deals involved with the New York six and ESPN owns all, you know, the majority of the lower tier bulls. Uh, the fact that they've already got a price tag there may take away some of the motivation to, to, cough up more cash is what what it's going to end up happening and they may ride it out it's only a two-year difference so it, it it may be easier to let it ride instead of doing the way more complicated work of trying to speed through to build a whole brand new system financially or get the approvals and slow build it so i, I think they'll end up ultimately slow building it so that the, that Everyone kind of gets what they want. I don't know if it's as difficult as you say. I mean, you know, these giant, you know, Disney doesn't hire all those Harvard MBAs for nothing. Well, how long does it take the American to negotiate their deal? Yeah, but that's just one conference. This is a lot more complicated. <laughs> True, but I think you have a lot more people who understand the structure, I think, working on it as opposed to kind of, you know, feeling out what the secrets are. I'll tell you what I, what I think is probably going to go by the wayside. I think number one, um, Everyone who was talking about like, oh, in 2025, we're going to have massive, another massive round of, of realignment. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think this could ultimately I, I, kill a realignment. I, I, I don't know if I don't know if it'll kill realignment, but we won't get as much of it as we did. I think that you'll probably the most realignment you might see might be, for example, I, we were speculating about this. Like you were saying that you were telling us off saying off the off the air that. Notre Dame kind of enjoyed their little, their short little stint in the ACC, right? They did, and and you know you can make, and I'm going to totally theorize here, uh, completely. Let's, let's go. Let's let, let's let's spend the remainder of the show rec- speculating recklessly because With this reckless abandon. So because so, this is the fun part that everyone wants to listen to. Go ahead. Yeah, this this is the part that we. I wish Brian Murphy was here to join us because <laughs> he would be retching <laughs> he would be just muting himself oh i screaming obscenities <laughs> into the microphone right. G- give but, me your give me your wild predictions i i think jack swarbrick's playing a little bit of 4d chess here uh, i think he enjoyed how notre dame did as a member of the acc you you give him a, you you give he's basically greenlit a system that actually hinders notre dame based on the fact they're not a member of a conference Right. They can't get one of the buys. They have to be an at-large team. Uh, he says, oh, it's that's ex- in exchange for not having to play a conference championship game. Well, maybe get in a few, you know, enough times as a lower seed having to play on the road, never be able to get in the top four, is going to tick off the administration enough to say, you know what? Just do it. <laughs> I mean, ju- just, just do it. Sign the dotted line. And then they end up in a member of the as a member of the ACC, which is the most likely um, scenario if they join a conference. I, I I think that'd be a a, a very interesting theory on, on why he was willing to sacrifice his own school for the betterment of everyone else. Hmm. Interesting point. I'm going to engage in my own set of ridiculous, reckless speculation. All right. Um, do you know when the ACC's media deal expires? The ACC? Like, ACC, yes. Uh, well, I believe it's... Didn't they just sign like a 30-year deal or something like that? 
Um, Close. Within the last few through, years? It's through 2036. 2036. With ESPN. Now, when does the Big Ten's media deal with, by the way, CBS, Fox, and ESPN, a that, giant conglomeration, when does that come up for bids? You did say it's just around the corner. Off the it air. is believe, just around the corner. You said, I believe, 2023 is 2023. It? That's right. Now, something, I don't know. When you start to look at how things line up, all right, 2023, let's see. Big Ten media deal coming up. We're starting to see the SEC has consolidated its media underneath the ESPN umbrella. It's no longer going to be CBS and ESPN. It's going to be ESPN only. We've seen the American consolidate under ESPN instead of splitting with CBS Sports with, with CBS and ESPN. I think the Big Ten is going to want to consolidate. And I think the Big Ten is going to want to consolidate with ESPN. And when they do, it's what triggers realignment isn't so much playoff, it's media contracts. And what I think is going to happen is the Big Ten is going to want to consolidate and then NBC is going to dive in. Now, NBC, we know that they're giving up NBC Sports Network, but they still have a bunch of properties out there. And the Big Ten Network, which is a 50-50 joint venture between Fox and the Big Ten, well, whoever runs that network is going to be whoever the main TV partner is. So I could easily see that transferring over to NBC. And then NBC can go to Notre Dame and say, hey, if you join the Big Ten, we'll continue to air Notre Dame football from South Bend every, every other Saturday. But then you also get your road games on our t- on our television network as well because we're going to air Big Ten football at noon, and then we push our st- our start back our start time back for Notre Dame football, you know, at South Bend back to three thirty if we want to, right? I think there's a possibility that if Notre Dame if Notre Dame decides to join a conference, which I do think they have a, they have a big incentive to do now, it's going to be the Big Ten. It's not going to be the S- the ACC, and they'll take all sports to the to the Big Ten now. How are the dominoes going to fall? This is where I think it's going to get real fun. We've been talking about before, and Lopez and I have talked about this all the time, kind of pointing and laughing. All the UCF people point and laugh at Nebraska, who got kicked out of the AAU, the American Association of Universities, as soon as they joined the Big Ten, which, by the way, the Big Ten is an academic league. It's not an athletic league. And a requirement for entry is you must be a member of the American Association of Universities. Which is why no one should ever speculate that the UCF is going to the Big Ten anytime soon because exactly. UCF has not joined the AAU anytime yes. soon. Yes. It's, Maybe one. It could happen. Maybe in a couple decades, now, but not anytime soon. Now, there's already a lot of bad blood between, between Nebraska and the Big Ten. I think that marriage is irreparably damaged. And I would not be surprised to see Nebraska leave the Big Ten and jump back to the Big 12. Here's the question. Do they leave or get kicked out? Who cares? That's my answer. It's more of how, it much laugh, how much laughter will we have? It's, it, it'll last us all in about five minutes. I don't think Nebraska is I don't think Nebraska can care either because I think they just want to get out of the Big Ten. So we, so I could I could definitely see Notre Dame going to the Big Ten. I could definitely see Nebraska going back to the Big Twelve. Um in terms of the in terms of the Big Twelve, that still leaves West Virginia as sort of a a, a, a sort island. of a, a yeah they're out on island they're like the redheaded stepchild out there. I wouldn't be surprised to see them take Notre Dame spot in the ACC, and you kind of have like a three way trade. And so, what does that mean for UCF? Stay put. 
<laughs> nothing. It means nothing. nothing. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> just stay put. You're in a league that you can win. You're in a league that has access to the playoff. Uh, if I'm Gus Malzahn, by the way, oh, how about playing? How about how about the last six months for that man? Huh? I think he's the biggest winner oh in God. college football any, oh, yeah. in you know, any yeah. shape you know, or form. Yeah, we're seeing all the all the articles about big winners and losers from the college football play. The big winners, Gus Malzahn. Oh, every got the gigantic buyout from Auburn with okay? no strings, with no strings attached. It's this job at UCF, recruit out of his mind in the state of Florida, and he gets uh, to be himself. He gets, yeah, he gets to be himself. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, Auburn-level boosters breathing down his neck. Uh, and in addition to all that, you got you have a potential spot in the college football playoff now. This is great. Oh, I mean, uh, unbelievable. Oh. T- take that man to Vegas with you. I mean, really. Because <laughs> his luck is just out of control right now. I, anyway, I do think this, uh, to sum up, I, I do think that, and we're going to get going here in a little bit, but... I do think that this is going to put to bed <clears throat> a lot of the speculation about about realignment. And I know we just spent the last thirteen minutes doing that, but I, I, it's not going to be like it has been in the past with multiple teams changing conferences. I think it's going to be very very limited, if at all. Um, I think that the concept of being an independent will officially lose its luster. There are some, you know, obviously we just heard today that Nate or that Army has re-upped their TV contract with CBS, to, so they're likely going to remain independent. But I think schools like UMass, UConn, New Mexico State, I think they're heading back to – I think they're heading down to FCS. I I, I just don't see – Nobody you know, wants them. I mean, that's the, that's the no, yeah, truth. No Nobody FBS conference – no FBS conference wants them. And UConn has openly said they don't want any F, FBS conference. Well, uh, UConn flat out without – in not as many words, basically said we don't care about football. I mean, that's that's what they did when they left the American to go join the Big East. Uh, football was just basically left, you know, left to die out there. Um, yeah. Granted, the program was in shambles, but I mean, they did nothing to help it. Yeah. But, but um, now it, there's there's zero incentive to being an independent if you're there, if you're there not. There is one thing that's going to have to happen, and you're going to have to have some rule changes in the NCAA regarding uh, divisions and conference championship games because. Uh, the way That's this is going to be set up is I, I I think it's a very possible reality that divisions go away because it's going to be about making sure the top two teams meet each other from a, from a record standpoint, instead of having, you know, a loaded SEC West and an SEC East that's mm, fair, uh, you, you end up with just the best two teams and, and you go from there. However, and this is where the Americans run it. The Americans running on an NCAA waiver because right now the rules say if you go no division and you want a conference championship game, you need a round robin. That's what the Big 12 has. That's when they got to deregulate the conference championship game and, that, and they brought it back. So if you want to have the best of both worlds, you're going to have to have the rules change. I think you'll eventually do it, but they, it has to be done. But do, do you I, think I that it might away. be... Uh, sorry for interrupting. Do you think That's that okay. there might be a possibility that if you're if you're not a quote power conference, that and I know that we're saying that this distinction may go away, but do you think that there's a possibility that say the American, the Mountain West, the Sun Belt, Conference USA, they might just do away with the con- with the conference championship games altogether? Uh, I don't think so because there's money what's to the be inc- had. Yeah, there's but what's there's... the but what's the incentive if you're if if I guess we'll have to see whatever the payouts look like from the CF, from the future CFP, but 
what's what's the incentive in potentially having your number what your number one team get knocked off? Yeah, I can see risk in that, and uh, I don't see the the conference championship games ultimately going away, uh, just because of the guaranteed money that comes in. There's no guarantees in the CFP, uh, other than you're going. You know, the Big Ten's going to get a team in. The pack, the the I'm sorry, the SEC is going to get at least a team in, and the ACC is going to get, and, and Big Twelve are going to get a team in. Uh, they're going to find they're going to find a way to get a team in. After that, you know, all bets are off, as we saw in 2020. Uh, the Pac-12 is just an absolute mess at the moment, and it's probably it may not improve next year. You know, it may take a well, while. Well, it may. They just hired a new commissioner. Yeah, well, I mean, things don't change overnight, though. Yeah. Uh, they've got a lot of work to do. And, and I'm hopeful because you'd hate to see, you know, things just fall apart. Because in the end, no one wins when when things just fall apart. You know, your quality of football goes down. You know, we, you know, we enjoyed, you know, the games against Stanford. We don't want Stanford to go away and fall apart into obscurity. Uh, we'd like to have them have, you know, bad years but i'm talking about like falling apart you know the big 12 mm. poaching the pac 12 and and making a, a conference mess uh i i think the i think the one conference that probably won't change anything is the mac uh the mac along with the sec were the first conferences to start the conference championship game they've been doing it since the early 90s and i don't see them changing it uh you know, because their chance of getting into the CFP playoffs is going to be the slimmest out of any of the conferences out there. Uh, all the talent is going south. Uh, that's why you're seeing the SEC dominance. You're seeing, you know, the rise the of the Sun Belt, the American. Um, you know, Cincinnati did well, but you know, did great. But and you're you're seeing Memphis improve. You've got, you know, UCF, who, who's you know, enough said we've. Yeah. We, we, we know plenty, what they've done. Plenty of Southern teams in Conference USA, too. Exactly. Uh, even Florida Atlantic had a really good run a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, when they won Conference USA, uh, the Sunbelt, Appalachian State, which is classified as a Southern school, uh, you know, Coastal Carolina, uh, you know, Southern school. I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at it as Southern movement. Everyone wants to come South uh, as far as, you know, recruiting. You know, all the talents down here, Texas, California, Florida, uh, Alabama, there's a, Louisiana, there's a lot of good talent in that pocket, Georgia, you know, the, in that area, there is a lot of good FBS talent that the, that schools are just going after. So it doesn't surprise me uh, that, you know, those Southern schools are rising up. So I think the Mac may stay still, uh, but the other ones uh, I can see, you know, car, you know, getting rid of divisions and, and trying to do the, they're, they're the best they can as far as just get the best two teams available. Uh, it's the American, the, this, you know, the other G5, you know, which I, you know, that term that should eventually go away. Uh, but non-A5. <laughs> the non-autonomous uh, needs the, the capital. They need the money. And they, you know, they, they, they don't make much money from their media deals. Uh, the bowls don't pay out well. Uh, they need that cash. And the way the bowl contracts are, all of these schools are locked out of the good bowls. Uh, now, we didn't, met, we, we failed to mention one thing, and, I, and it just made me think of it. One of the things they talked about is some of the bowl games going away in, mm -hmm. in response to this plan of having more major bowl games involved with this new playoff. 
uh, I believe it may have been Brett McMurphy said that maybe six to 10 bowl games could get axed. And I know Eric Lopez is celebrating because he feels there are way too many bowl games out there. (laughs) I, 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 Eric did kind of do a victory lap when we showed him that tweet. Um, I do agree that there are too many bowl games. Um, they're not really games. They're three and a half hour blocks of programming on ESPN in the middle of the holidays. Um, <laughs> my my hope is that if there are bowls that go away, that none of them are the ones here in Orlando. Uh, I mean, the, the Cure would be the only one that would end up potentially in the chopping block but basically the games that take six and six mac teams and six and six sunbelt teams and throw them together those are the ones that are going to get chopped yeah it's you know like the the famous idaho potato bowl up in boise unfortunately for our friends at boise that one may become potato chips pretty quickly um that's you, you, you did you just think of that yes i did actually oh okay so um I don't know about any. I I do think like some like like there's like two bowls. Remember there's like two bowls in San Francisco or Santa Clara. Well, um, I know like the the Red Box Bowl and and I think there was another one. Uh, they they don't even have a, a date set for the 2021 season. They haven't even been confirmed. Right. Uh, all the ESPN owned bowls have been confirmed. There's been times and everything's locked up. Uh, so it's a possibility that there may be some bowls that don't make the cut for 2021. Uh, I think the Red Box Bowl was actually going to be cut in 2020 anyway. They had no home to, yeah. to go to. Like, like here's uh, that's like one the of the ones le- in San Francisco yeah, or in the Santa Lending Clara. Tree Bowl in Mobile. I don't think I don't think anyone's looking at the calendar and saying, "Oh, great, let's go to Mobile, Alabama." Um, hey, my my thoughts about the Birmingham or, or maybe the Birmingham Bowl going away and all. And all I could think of is some of those those Southern Bowls is Southern Florida University on a T-shirt. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I think we just aged ourselves a little bit. Oh, geez. Anyway, I just – and I want to wrap this up here because we got to get going. But um, I just – it's rare that I – am pleasantly surprised by anything that happens in college football. And this week was one of those times. Because I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it. I saw the first, I remember the first piece that came out. I forget who wrote the very first piece was saying, Hey, this 12 team thing is, is, is actually a thing. I was, I, I, I forget who shared it initially. Was it, was it Dodd? Was it, uh, was, was it Dodd? I don't remember if it was Dodd. It might actually, it might've been Dodd. When I looked at it, I was like, I, I just remember that my first my first look at it was, pff, yeah, right. This is they're just trying to get pe- they're just trying to hook people in, and just to disappoint them, just to disappoint us in, in the end. And lo and behold, this is what's actually happening. And uh, again, I don't want to uh, I, get your I hopes up. I don't want to get my hopes up too much because this still has two rounds of voting that it has to get through. But what? If Greg Sankey says this is what we want to have happen, I think things are going to just are going to fall into place. <laughs> I mean, that's if Greg Sankey said, does that make Greg Sankey the most powerful man in college football? Oh, yeah. he totally is right now. It's yeah, totally. Yeah, and hence, oh man, uh, I, I just without a, without a slight doubt, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, is by far the most powerful man in college football. 
I, I just, I can't believe that they're really going to do this. I have been on the record saying constantly that the, the ideal playoff is, uh, is, is 16 with 10 automatic bids. Yeah, Eric has gone out there saying that he thinks that one day in the next con- in the next contract, the one after this, they're going to go to sixteen. It really depends how this one plays out. I think it. De- yeah, I, I agree. I think if this it, one goes well, but this they is may a not quantum leap. I thought that I, I thought that may, they may never go to eight. You know that maybe they would go to six. I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm I, I think cautiously like- optimistic for the next for the next what six days that this will actually happen when we get the details. After the meetings on Thursday and Friday, and then after the uh, and then after the uh, the president's committee on, committee on the twenty second, um, it may be as soon as this time next week that we know like well, exactly what and how is going to go down. It, I mean, it won't be finalized from from the CFP side until September at the at the earliest. So I mean, there it's going to take time. Uh, we just have to be patient and optimistic. We know the at least the base structure, which uh, you know looks great. We don't know how the financial football is going to be. We don't know if every conference gets an equal share, and then you get um, units basically, kind of like the NCAA tournament does, based on number of teams in and how far you go. Uh, we don't know how that's going to play out, and, and and I have a feeling we're probably going to be a little disappointed when that all works out. I I, I think it's you're still going to have the case of the rich getting richer and, and the uh, poor again, only slightly richer when it's all said and done. But mm-hmm. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, man. I don't know. I, I, it's <sighs> God. I hope this happens. This, I, you know, everyone's like, "Oh, this is like a foregone conclusion." I, I still don't think that it is. I don't know why. I just I'm sick and tired of college football ripping out the 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 rug from underneath your heart. To say rip out your heart. Yeah, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't stand it. I, you, I, you've I, been I, around enough UCF games over the millennia that yeah. you are used to victory being snatched from away the, from you. Yeah, you know, snatching Spe- defeat from the jaws of victory. Speaking of which, uh, you're continuing on uh, as we look at programming coming up uh, this week. The newsletter is back. Make sure you subscribe to it. Yes, the uh, newsletter is back, and Jeff and, is all over it. And I am all over that. It's been, uh, it, so far, the first two that have gone out have been pretty good. Make sure you subscribe to it. Take a look at uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com for that. Uh, follow us on social, UCF underscore banner at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Now, Drew, you're also working on your features as well on the Throwback Classics. Is that right? Yep. Uh, episode three, our third game, comes out later this week. And uh, uh, this for those who were there, this was a very impactful game for people. Mm. Now you see. Now you got me excited. Now you, you got know me. What the, you know what it is. I, do I, I? I can't even remember. It's so late at night now. I don't even remember. Uh, well, but. I'll, 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 I'll break it just so that that people. The, the third episode will be the 2011 Red Bandana game against Boston College. Oh, a blowout uh, it, win! It was a blowout win the day before the 10th anniversary of of 9/11, and and I was able to to interview uh, uh, Neil Serrana, uh, who was one of the guys involved in the grassroots push from the students to do the red bandana aspect of before the school kind of bought into it. Nice. And I was able to, 
was able to talk to him about it and he was really excited to to, to bring it back up it's been almost 10 years since it's happened uh, i was at that game as a fan with the red bandana and everything and and you know this is one of those games where uh, i would say off the field it was probably the most you know impact i felt as a fan uh you know once you 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 remove yourself from the game but from the game aspect man man ucf had a just an absolute ball of a time it took a little while uh but you know man seeing that last touchdown with jeff godfrey running over luke keekley that that was <laughs> that was beautiful gosh those were that was the oh man that was the time by the way it was pete thamel who uh who dropped the first uh article out there uh, yes from from yahoo sports from yahoo sports so you know wow thamel was on it man gotta hand that guy some credit so credit's gotta go somewhere right i know it's gotta go so it's been fun follow us on twitter by the way Statboy drew jeff underscore sharon you can also follow eric eric will be back next week um and we'll he needs be, a yeah. hug <laughs> eric has just absolutely had it with everybody at this he point. needs a hug <laughs> i i i he's i get it I get it sometimes, but, um, but wow. I mean, we are on the verge of a truly earth shaking week in college football, uh, after one earth shaking week and, and one that could possibly, it could very well end up giving us something that we've always wanted as UCF fans, a shot, and a, shot a legit all we want is a shot. shot. All we want is, I always say, I always say the same thing. Like every athlete at every level always says the same thing. Like, all I want is a shot. If I don't make it, I don't make it. But all I want is a shot. Prove and it on the field. And that's that's field. always been things. Right. Settle it on the field. Yep. And let there be Excellent. a true champion. Yes. And now we may finally, finally. After 100 plus years. Yes. Thanks to uh, Bryson Turner for talking to us about track and field. It's Bryson Turner on Twitter. Make sure you follow him. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, all the best to uh, Renaya Jones. And Anne-Marie Blaney, this, uh, this coming week at the U.S. Olympic trials, that should be a lot of fun, and we're hoping to, for the best uh, for them. So for Andrew Glukov and Bryson Turner, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening to the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. If you subscribe to our podcast, thank you so much. Please leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. If you don't, you can find us on Apple Podcasts if you're uh, an iPhone or Apple user. If you're on Android, you can find us on Spotify as well uh and if you do subscribe to us already thank you so much make sure you tell a friend a ucf friend in your uh in your orbit about us um again we've been seeing our podcast uh download numbers increase every month from the time we actually started this um and it's gratifying to see and we're really appreciative of it um and we hope to see uh that continue with your help as we head into the summer so for andrew Cup, i'm jeff sharon saying thank you so much for listening to the black and gold banner podcast we will see you next week. Keep tabs on us uh, for all the latest on the CFP and the Olympic trials. Thank you.